Let's start with Romans 8.28 and then we're going to go a ways. Romans 8.28. For those of you that may not be that savvy, and I'm not, I'm not criticizing you if you're not. Um, I mean, when I got to Teen Challenge, um, I had a good portion of the Bible studied and I knew it. And, uh, but they would use words that I just didn't pick up on. And I know we sang a song Yahweh a while ago. Um, that's actually a different pronunciation of, of Jehovah. Jehovah and Je- Yahweh, same name, just different way of pronouncing it. And some songs just end with it short, like, or some verses, the shorter version is Yah. You know, my chaplain back at Teen Challenge would ask new people, he'd say, uh, have you ever heard of that Swedish worship song? And no. And he would say, Hallelujah. Thank you. I have some support out there. Uh, so that's a name for God, Yah. Uh, in the Old Testament, the name translated from the Old Testament, the name Jesus is Joshua. Like Joshua, you know, fit the battle of Jericho. And... Um, all the promises of God in him, that being Christ, are yes and amen. If you were curious about that, that's in 2 Corinthians 1.20. And before uh, Paul says that, he says, when I said I was going to do something, did I not do it? When I said I was going to come to you, did I come to you? When I said I wasn't, I wasn't. I let my yea be yea and my nay be nay. That's exactly what Jesus said about don't swear. And then we're not talking about cursing. We're talking about swearing on your on the Bible or something like that. He says, don't swear. Just let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. In other words, yes, I'll do it. It even says, though, that though in, in, in a Psalm, I believe, or uh, Psalm 15, it says that... Uh, these things uh, uh, are needed to dwell in the presence of the Most High. And one of them is he that swears. Now that, this is talking about swearing to something. Um, he that swears to his own hurt and changes not. In other words, even when it hurts, you gave your word, you keep your word. And that's what Paul says before that verse. He says, I kept my word. And then he says, that's why we know God keeps his word. And that's when he says, for all the promises of God. We heard a word a while ago, a while ago. All the promises of God in him are yes and amen. So uh, for those of you who just like to know where that is, and then uh, kind of coincides with another verse that Peter said. Peter said in Second Peter Uh, Chapter 1, he says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. 
that by these promises you might be a partaker in the divine nature of God. Do you know when you believe God, believe his word, and you're a doer of the word, you become a partaker of his divine nature. Isn't that that pretty good? Notice the other thing about all the promises of God. In Christ, or yes, Christ fulfilled all the law, not a jot or a tittle. You know, jot, smallest uh, letter in the Greek alphabet, and tittle is the smallest punctuation mark. And it coincides, jot coincides with the uh, Hebrew number Jod. And he says that the, the smallest letter was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's why God says, He that spared not only his own son, which is later on in this chapter, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? But there's one thing that I think that we need to know. And that is, uh, let's take uh, Romans 1, I mean, uh, 2 Peter 1, 5. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these promises you might be a partaker of the divine nature. God isn't just interested in doing things for you. He is. That's why he says, he that spared not his own son. But he's also interested, has another plan for your life. Now, this is why we, we talked about uh, this uh, last week. The Bible, you know, one of the, I was just going over the four spiritual laws. How many of you know what the four spiritual laws are? All right. Uh, I remember, um, I'm slipping on the thing. The teacher from Baptist Theological Seminary out of Dallas Howie Hendricks. Uh, his name was Howard, but he went by Howie. And um, Howie Hendricks knew, taught a guy that had that was an optometrist in in the in the Bible college. And so uh, uh, the the Bible uh, the optometrist, when he gave the eye test, he removed the words that are on the general eye test, and he wrote the four spiritual laws out. <laughs> So that says, can you read the first first line? There, there is a God, and He has a purpose for your life. <laughs> what's the second? What's the second line? Uh, sin is what it keeps mankind from God. What's the third line? God has provided a way through Jesus Christ to bridge between uh, uh, man and you know. What's the, what's the fourth one? You know, you just, it was the four spiritual laws. Well, those, well, the first line is God, uh, there is a God. You got him on the, your little pamphlet there, huh? There is a God and he has a purpose for your life. Well, Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. You can't do it. But he that comes to God must first believe that he is. Now, I always thought, well, you know, I just kind of like 
they forgot to put God in there, you know. Well, they forgot on purpose. And it says that he is. You know why we believe that he is? Because he is, I am. You understand what I'm saying? He is God. Yes. But you don't have to say God because God is. And you don't have to say I am God. God says I am. You know. And so, you know, that's the first thing he says. And then he says this. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we see the rewarder part that God meets all our needs according to his riches and glory. And all the promises of God are in him. Yes and amen. And that by these exceeding great and precious promises, we are partakers of the divine nature of God. Yes and amen. But you see that there is another purpose. What we talked about last week was the uh, what I believe is, and I don't want to, this is really big, this is a really big thing. But I think there needs some be to me needs to be more understanding with it. And that is the gospel. You know, uh, I'm I'm a firm believer in presenting the gospel. The gospel, the best place to look at the gospel is in first Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And it says this is you know, this is the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. He was uh, crucified on the cross. He died for our sin. He was buried and he was raised again for our justification. And so that's that is the gospel. Jesus gave his life uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's a perfect verse for the gospel. But there's one thing that we fail to recognize. You know, it's one thing to believe that God is. But the next thing is, is and he has a purpose for your life. You see, why did Jesus die for us? Well, he came to save sinners. We know that. And I was a pretty good one at that. Probably better than most. And he saved. He saved me. But he didn't just save me for the sake of saving me. He saved me for a purpose. Now, look at this verse here. This is one of the most popular verses in the Bible. I think I possibly have heard this one quoted more than any other verse. And I don't know what you mean perfectly. I mean, you know, maybe just content of it. But people know this verse. And that is, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And of course, we... First of all, I don't particularly agree with the interpretation. And I'm going to tell you something here that I probably, as far as evangelical born-again Christians, am in a minority on this one, okay? And if I, if you disagree with me, you're in the majority. I agree with that. Uh, but I just want to tell you that I'm not, I don't interpret this scripture the way a lot of people interpret it in the, in the Bible. If you're one of those, I can't argue with you about it because you've got evidence to prove it. But I don't believe, all right, now, now let, me, let me be clear about that. Now that I have your attention, I hope, 
we know that all things work together for good. We believe, or Christians believe, that the all things there is everything. You know, God is working everything for our good. Everything that ever happens to you, everything that happens in this world, God is working it together for our good. In a manner of speaking, I won't argue with that, except that I don't think that's what Paul and God is talking about here. I think what he's talking about is the all things of God. In other words, the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's the gospel. And that's working together for our good. The Holy Spirit is working together for our good. See, The promises of God are working together for our good. See, it's the things of God that is working for our good. I happen to believe that in this world, there is a God, little g, a God of this world, which is Satan. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians uh, 10 or 4, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. And so, so Satan, what's his, what, he has a purpose. What is his purpose? To kill, steal, and destroy us. But see, this is how, and this may work into how most Christians say it. And I don't know which, uh, I'd love to talk to you about it. And under, but I think I already understand where you would be coming from. But this, you see, I do believe that the things of God, Satan is trying to kill, steal, and destroy her. But Jesus says, I am come to give you life, abundant life, more, uh, life more abundantly. So Satan is out there in this world and he's not working for my good. But I do have a Lord through the power of, see, here's what I think works, works together for our good. Ephesians, one says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I think all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ are working together for our good. You see, according he had chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, before the world began. I think that we being chosen of God is working together for our good. You see. It, it may be a little semantic thing, but see, with me, it's, uh, it puts, I don't see that cancer is working together for my good, you see. But God is working together for my good, that through the temptation, you see, we, I, we will succeed. And so it says we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And it says, and we are adopted children in him before the foundation of the world. And it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he's made us accepted in the beloved. Now, I've quoted that verse probably to this group, you know, not not everybody's 
part of this group, but this group probably 30 times in the last year. I was going over this and I, I said, I, I realized something that I didn't pick up on before as far as this verse is concerned. It says in Ephesians that to the praise of the glory of his grace. You know what? We'll come back to this in a minute, but let's go to Ephesians 1, and I want to show you this, okay? Ephesians 1, verse 1. Now, there are 150 verses, rounding off, 150 verses in the New Testament, in the epistles, that declare who and what we are in Christ Jesus, right? And this is one of the best places of all. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentile, excuse me. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Who's he talking to? The saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be and, you know, I, uh, you know, in the Beatitudes, blessed, blessed are the merciful, uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be. Blessed are the peacemakers. You know, it goes on. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after. Those are called Beatitudes. And I was just talking to a group the other day saying, it's called Beatitudes because in the Latin Vulgate, it said, instead of blessed, it says Beatitude in Latin. So, blessed and uh, they're called the Beatitudes because of Beatitude. In the, they're called Beatitudes. Now that Greek word in Sermon on the Mountain, blessed, is makarius, which means fortunate, you know, truly uh, blessed. And, you know, Amplified Bible says someone to be envied is what it says in the Amplified Bible. Well, this word is, a, in my opinion, is a much better word than that one. You think it's, if you're talking about blessed and fortunate, to be envied is good. This one beats it, in my opinion. Why does it do that? This word blessed, in all of it in there, is the, is the Greek word eulogio. It's spelled like E U. L-O-G-Y, eulogio. The last part, logio, is extracted from the, the root word logos, which means word, logos. E-U is a prefix which means good or well. You know, well, good word. We, are, we have a good word spoken of over us by God himself. And how much is it? We're, we have a good word that we're blessed with all spiritual good words. You know, it, we get our word eulogy from eulogio when we go to uh, somebody's funeral. And, and uh, by the way, uh, there'll be a mo- memorial service for Nancy Harrison on the 15th of uh, September at the Word of Faith. Uh, what was the time on that? Anybody remember? 
One o'clock, that's right. I, I didn't have to remember because I'm going to be in Columbus, Ohio at a granddaughter's wedding. And so I, um, I hope you come to that. But when you don't see me there, that's the reason. And I'm kind of sad about not being able to be there. But when you go to there, you go to a funeral and you have people say all kinds of nice things about you. Well, that's eulogio. That's eulogy. And so this only, you know, it's like uh, when, when um, James Taylor wrote the song and sang the song, I'm going to Carolina. He says, say nice things about me when I'm gone. You know, well, people tend to see the positive and everything and accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative and hold on to the affirmative. You know, that's a word from the Lord right there. Well, when God says something good on you, he's not exaggerating. He, it, it, he, spoke, he speaks it by faith. I had an argument with someone sometime, and I won't argue with anybody about anybody in here. It's okay. Uh, but somebody says, God doesn't need faith. I just happen to think that he has a lot of faith in us. I think that's the spiritual principle by which he operates. And so he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now that's working together for our good. According, that's verse, according, according as he hath chosen us. You know, uh, a big turning point for me, I've had turning points my whole Christian walk, but there was this really big, big turning point for me when I got a word and I didn't tell anybody what the word was because I was struggling with the word. I got a prophecy when I went to Bethel and I was struggling with that word that I was given. And it took me about three, four months to make peace with it. And it was a word. And finally, I was I I understood. See, because the first thing I do, if somebody gives me a word, I start judging it by the word. I want to know if it's scriptural or not, you know. So the first thing and then I thought, well, I I really want to receive this, but I'm finding difficult in seeing that it is scriptural. And then after a period of time. I saw it and it just completely was a, an epiphany that just exploded inside of me. And I can tell you what the word was now, but before I couldn't. And this guy comes over to me to start with. Big, big guy. Wasn't so tall, but boy, he had arms that I, I would venture to say he was some kind of not a bodybuilder, but a weightlifter. You know, there's a difference. Sometimes that pretty muscle doesn't work as well as, you know, 
And he had forearms that was that big around. And man, he, he sat down and he took my arms and his hands like that. You know, we're kind of overlapping on arms. I thought he was going to pick me up. I'm like, whoa, this guy's going to pick me up. And he picks up and he was tattooed from here. <laughs> there wasn't a spot on his arm anywhere that there wasn't a ink, you know. And I, I, I don't believe in tattoos, you know. I don't want to, I don't want anybody to feel bad. But even when I was in the Navy and everybody's trying to get me inked, I said, no, 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 no. Well, for a couple of ways. Number one, they cost a lot of money. Number two, they hurt like crazy when you put them on. <laughs> There's two good reasons for me right there. Number three, you can't, you change your mind. Uh-oh. You know, number four, if you rob a bank and that somebody sees the tattoo, it's like an identifying mark. So, you you know, there's all kinds of reasons that I don't go for tattoos. And this guy's got tattoos over. And I had to go through my little judgmental attitude and say, okay. And he, like I said, that the, he was on me and I was feeling like I was just exploding with the love of God. And you know what he told me? You are God's favorite. That's what he told me. You are God's favorite. And I tell you, I was so blessed by that, but I thought it was so unbiblical. Why? But God has no respecter of persons, you see. And for three months, I was like, it was, it was blessing me, and it was bringing me to my knees, humility, and it was just so beautiful. And yet, I was still struggling with, God is no respecter of persons. And then I, it suddenly realized, it hit me, which I have passed on to you. So are you. Everyone in this room is God's favorite. And how is that possible? I don't know for sure. But I do know that God can do what other people think is impossible. Who would have thought that you could be on the computer and you could print a little word in in two seconds have everything about that word there is. It's like. Who would have thought you could do that? If a computer can do what do you think God can do? Every person in this room. Is God's favorite. See, that's how that's why it says, you know, uh, let think not of yourself more highly than you ought to think. The reason you think no more highly, don't think more highly, is because you're not any better than anybody else. But God has a place in him that is reserved for you and you alone. And here it says, according as he's chosen us, we are chosen of God. In him, there it is again, before the foundation of the world, that we should be Holy, you know, there, come, now we get, 
Now, listen to this, okay? This is one of God's purposes for your life. This is one of God's uh, plan. Spiritual law number one. There is a God and he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. You have been chosen in Christ before the foundation. Does that mean you're going to fit in with that plan? No. You see, because God gave you a free will. And he reveals himself to you. And your your free choice. It says, you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy. You see, that we should be holy. God, the plan for us is for us to be holy. And should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now this is the one. The next verse after this one. Having predestinated. I just read a beautiful thing about predestination. Because one of my problems is, and we're going to see another predestination in Romans 8. But one of my problems with the word predestination is that God has predestined me to be conformed to the image of his son. And I look in a mirror and I'm thinking, you don't have a lot of time left, God, to get this job done. And from my point of view, you got a long ways to go. And you know what's interesting? The Bible's called a mirror. The Bible says two things about the Bible being a mirror. One is that we look into the mirror and the Bible shows us who we are. And the other one is we look into a mirror and the Bible shows who we are in Christ Jesus. So it shows us both. It shows we're, you know, without him and with him. You know, one of my favorite lines in a movie is with uh, um, Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz, I think it is. And he's trying to tell her what chances she has of surviving the day. Yes, he says, and he's telling her, with me, without me. With me, without me. And she's going, this is what you have. A chance. You have a chance surviving this day with me up here. Without me, no chance. You see, With Christ, we are predestined unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. According to the good pleasure of his will. I remember back in Teen Challenge reading this and thinking, God gets good pleasure when I am in his will and receiving all these blessings. <laughs> Next verse, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted and leave this one up. We're, we're going to go to Romans eight twenty eight after I get through with this one. Accepted in the beloved. Now talk to me about that word accept, accepted. It is the Greek word karatu. And it's, it's the base word for karatu is charis, which means grace. As a matter of fact, you say to the praise of the glory, uh, uh, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That word grace, charis. In order to bring praise to 
to the glory of his grace, you and I have been made accepted in the beloved. And what's really cool is this word made or made us is the same word as the word accepted. It is karatu. And karatu means extreme grace. So let's just look at to the praise of his glory of his charis, wherein he has made us, he had caratud us into to be to be karatu in the beloved. In when it's beloved, it's in Christ, in Jesus Christ. He's the beloved. Like one, and I was I was talking talking to Rick about this, and and Rick says, "You know, you mean karatu is grace on steroids." I said, yeah, that's a pretty good way to could explain it. And it's like being favored. I heard another definition of grace this last week. Grace is when a powerful person lets you in to share his power. And so grace is favoritism. And she said, and favoritism is when God lets you in to share his power. And so God, in order to bring praise to the glory of his charis, he has caratud to be caratud in the beloved. Those are the things that are working together for our good. You see? Hello? And that's what I believe. I believe it's the good things of God. Now let's go to Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Now, we, we think of that. Everything worked together for good. Now, I, I look back on my past and I see some of the horrible things that I have done when I was young. And I see that Satan was going to try and kill, steal and destroy me. But I see God in his mercy and grace working those things for our good. So I do see that God is the great, what I call the great judo expert, you know. Judo. You know what judo is? Judo is when you take the other guy's power and you twist it and use his power to destroy you. You see, to destroy him. So when you have a, I took a little class with judo and uh, it was showing how when he makes a move for you, you use that move and turn it against him. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus makes the move and he turns it against him and he turns it for our favor. So God uses bad things in the past, but he uses it with the good things that he has got for us. Romans eight twenty eight. Now notice this. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. So in order for these things to be working together for our good, the way, 
Well, let, 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 I'll come back to that in just a minute. Next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now, I just read a teaching about this word predestinate from some Pastor Norm Moran gave it to me. And it says in the Greek, this word predestinate means this is what God's plan is for you. This is what God's intentions are for you. But you see, he's not going to force himself on anybody. You have to receive it. See, that's that's one of that second. That's that third thing. That was a, a, actually the fourth thing. The first thing is God has a plan. of uh, There is a God and he has a plan for your life. The second thing is sin is interrupting that plan for your life. The third thing is he provided a bridge to him. And that bridge is Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing is we have to receive it. You can't. It's just not going to be pounded into you. You've got to receive it. And so them he predestined, he has predestined us. And that's what I'll just go on in just a minute. He says, in whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And I told you it was just probably six months ago, maybe eight months ago when I was looking in a mirror, maybe year and something ago, come to think of it. And I was looking in a mirror and I was saying, God, you said I was predestined. I have a destiny for my life and it's been predestined and I understand it to before the world was even created, that I would be conforming to the, conform to the image of Jesus. And I looked and I said, you, sh- you know, you must be going to be doing a mighty work here in these last few years because I got a long ways to go. And so I was saying to God, I want, I want that. Remember how we talked about how the number one thing that you need in order to to walk in God's ways and to know God and delight in God and to enjoy him and to fellowship with him and to love him and receive his love by, you know, you know what the number one thing you need? Hunger. Desire. You need faith to please him, but you got to want him. You got to want him more than anything else in the world. And so this isn't just automatic that you be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestined, them he also called. Them whom he called, them he also justified. And then them and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now to go back to Romans 8.28. Now go Romans 8.28. The next verse was, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? But it's those things. And what requires, just like you said, faith. But if you know what to have faith, you have to want it. You've already got faith. I hope you've got faith or you wouldn't even be in here. We know that all things work together. For good to them that love God. You know what Jesus says? The number one commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. To them whom he called, them he, he says, and them who love God, them whom he called. Remember where it says he saved us and he called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his purpose and grace. 
And there it goes again, according to his purpose. So called and purpose. You know, uh, what was it? I can't think of his name. Stearns that wrote the book. Um, Robert Stearns, who wrote the book about um, purpose-driven life. Is that Robert Stearns that wrote that? Robert Stones is the one that bell book and candle, right? No, that's a joke. <laughs> Warren, that's right. Purpose-driven life. You need, if you want all of God's things that he's working in you to be, to work together for your good, you have to have a purpose-driven life. A purpose-driven, because you're purpose-driven by the love of God. Your purpose driven because you're called of God. Your purpose is driven according to his purpose. You see, which was given to us before the world began. What? You know what happens though when somebody gives you something? You got to receive it. I mean, you, people can offer you things. You know, I remember seeing this. I used to work in a pizza place and we used to show silent movies on. And, uh, you know, there was this one silent movie about, um, oh, shoot, going to have a senior moment here. Charlie Chapman. All right. Now, before you say it was before your time, it was like 40 years before my time. So I don't want to hear it, you know, before your time. I mean, he was pretty much dead and gone the time I was buried, nearly, you know. And he was this funny comedian and he, he was an immigrant. And the first thing that they did showing on this immigrant is that he came over on this ship and he used to go sneak in and get on the, the uh, lifeboat because he had bought a block of cheese that he ate every day on the trip across. But when he went to get the, 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 uh, his cheese, he'd be passing by the dining hall and he'd see these people eating these great feasts and he'd be And then he'd go eat. And then finally at the end, this one started watching started watch him. He said, you must really love cheese. So why do you do that? And he says, well, because I couldn't afford to, you know, the dining hall. He said, you come with a passage. <laughs> he could have been eating in the dining hall the whole time. I heard John Osteen give a whole sermon on that, you know. Sometimes you just, you don't have it because you don't receive. Amen? Then there was another time when he, he, had a, he found this large coin and he, they used to, he used to see if it was real, they'd bite into it, you know? I, I guess if it's soft, it was real. If it wasn't, it was something else. He put it in his pocket and it rolled right out the bottom. He thinks he's rich, you know, and he invites this one gal he met on the boat to go eat, and they're eating and eating, and finally this one guy sees them and says, you know, you're reading this off because it's a silent movie. You young couple, he says, let me buy your meal. And he takes the check out of Charlie Chapman's hand, and Charlie Chapman goes, takes it back. (laughs) And then he says, no, no, let me pay for it. He takes it back. And Charlie Chapman, no, no, I'll take care of it. Meanwhile, Charlie Chapman knows that he lost the coin. He knows he's broke by now, okay? And so 
He takes it again. And Charlie Chaplin says, no, no, take it. And he says, okay. And he goes, no, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. <laughs> How many of us take the check back when he's paid it? Hello? When he's paid the check. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, back up. Remember I said that the problem that I have, and I, I love the gospel that I shared with you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I love the gospel. But see, I've come to appreciate something else. God just didn't, Jesus didn't just come to this earth just to save you. He would have come if it was just you, but he didn't come. He saved you for a purpose. And it wasn't just to walk around saved all day long. And, well, part of the purpose is sharing the gospel with other people. But the purpose in his life is God wanted, first of all, fellowship with you. That's when Jesus said it very well, very, very easily. You want to condense it down into just one little bit? Here's, here, let's condense it down. Jesus died so that you and I could love through him and for him, by him and for him and through him because he made a way that we could love God with all our heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit and that we could love our neighbor as ourselves. We could do that because Jesus died. Before Jesus died, we couldn't do it. Says so in Galatians. Says the law was a schoolmaster that was bringing man to Christ. And that schoolmaster is like, a, it says tutor really, and schoolmaster, and it's not even that. It's like a boy that's being, leading another boy to school. And that's all the law was good for, to bring us to Christ. But through Christ, the law can be a reality. We are never saved by keeping the law. Never. We are saved by grace through faith that not of ourselves, that is the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But because Jesus died for us, through him, we can love God with all our heart. You have have to believe it. You have to want it and you have to believe it. That he died so that you could do that because that's what Jesus died for. He, one of my favorite scenes. I'm, I'm kind of like God's favorites, you know. When you play music, I'm, oh, that's one of my favorites, you know. That's one of my favorites. That's one of my favorites. And when I watch uh, Jesus of Nazareth or the greatest story ever told and everything... There, there are scenes in one of my favorites. One of my favorites is when Jesus and some of the disciples that's with him are coming into to Jerusalem or the Jerusalem area. And the, one of the young men's name is James, but he's not the James and John, the sons of Zebedee. He's just one of the younger James. And he says, let's go someplace else. Let's go through another tax collector. And Jesus says, why? He says, that's my brother up there collecting taxes. And uh, Jesus says, 
uh, James, do you love your brother? Oh, you don't know. He's wicked. He, he, he drinks and he does this and he hangs around this and he hangs around with women and prostitutes and everything. He, he's, he's wicked. And worst of it, he's a tax collector. He, he collects taxes for Rome. He's just, he's just a horrible man. None of my family will even speak to him. So he says, James, do you love him? He says, well, yeah, I love him. <laughs> so they said, well, they go to him. And so he walks up to Matthew, played by Roddy McDowell, who some of you older ones would like to know that. And Roddy McDowell says, have you anything to declare? And he says, only my father. And Roddy McDowell says, where is your father? He is in my heart. Well, does he have anything to declare? Only his love for you. And Matthew says, well, I can't very well tax that, can I? And he walks over and he says, follow me, Matthew. And Matthew (laughs) leaves it all and follows him. Why is that special? Because Jesus came to declare his father. That's what he came for. He came to glorify the Father. He came to bring to a world a a, a part of God that was not revealed. Oh, it's in the Old Testament. But God was not a father. God is a daddy. He's a father. When he created Adam and Eve, he would come and fellowship with them in the garden. In the cool of the day, which is about... Two and a half hours, which is about 10% of the day. If you get a picture there. And he would fellowship with them. And then when they sinned, they hid from him. And we've been hiding from God ever since. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you that you do work all things together for our good to them that love you and are called according to your purpose. And I believe that everybody in this room is your favorite. And I believe that everybody in this room is called according to your purpose. That you have a purpose for their life. You have a calling on their lives. And I believe that you're you're the word revive is to like relife. You're relifing us into that purpose and calling. You saved us, Lord Jesus, because you wanted us to come to the Father through you. Lord, may we be more mindful, spiritually minded, that we could fulfill the calling and purpose that you have for our lives. And see that that's really all that matters. In Jesus' name, amen.